Today we're going to be in the first chapter of Matthew. We're going to go a little bit into Isaiah. All of it will be on the screen behind me. Matthew 1, we're going to be starting at verse 18 in just a minute. As we venture deeper into December, we see people enjoying the traditions of this time of year. One tradition that I think is so important for all of us are the stories that surround Christmas. There are many tales of the season that we go back to each year that are important memories for us or from our families that helps make this a more uh, special and unique time. Of course, one of the most popular and enduring stories that centers around the holiday is A Christmas Carol, penned by Charles Dickens in 1843. He wrote the novella in six weeks. He began in late October, and it went on sale December 17th. And when he was writing it, he would take long walks on the streets of London late at night for inspiration. It sold out in three days. Now, if you don't want to actually read the story, there are over 20 film versions to watch, not including countless productions performed around the world every year. Uh, after each service, I had people come and sing to me from the musical that they were in as Marley's Ghost or as the Ghost of Christmas Present, and I thought I should have had them up here with me, but I didn't know. The first film adaptation was actually a silent film from 1901 that lasts six minutes. You might want to check that out on YouTube. The story of Scrooge, of course, the elderly miser visited by the ghosts of Christmas past, present, and future, is the ultimate tale of redemption. And while this comes across as the main theme, Dickens was actually writing a social commentary on how horribly children were being treated at the time. His own father had been sent to debtor's prison, so he was well acquainted with poverty. But it was the experience of walking through factories where children were working, through tin mines, and visiting a school for illiterate sh uh, street children that galvanized him to try and do something for these young ones who were being used at their own peril. He was horrified at their lot in life. Now, there were some leaders at the time, even clergy, who were quoted as saying, well, if children die from doing too much work, it will decrease the surplus population. Now, this becomes a saying of Scrooge that Dickens writes into the story, which the ghost uses against him when his heart is so taken for Tiny Tim and for how Tiny Tim might not make it. So in order to reach the largest segment of the population with his social concerns about poverty and injustice for these children, Dickens decides to write this story that he hoped would not only change the hearts of many, but change and make influence for the people who could change. One of the ideas that Dickens gets right among many is how people only understand the present by looking at the past. When Scrooge remembers how sad his childhood holidays were, he sees why he can't stand them as an adult. When we look truthfully at what has come before, we get a better grasp of why we act the way we do. Why we have made the choices that we have made today. And we know that the things that we do today will someday be history that we will look back on 
by ourselves and by others in the years to come. Now, the ghost of Christmas future showed Mr. Scrooge what would happen if he wouldn't change his ways. But the past did not end up being his only roadmap to the future. He was able to change and grasp true transformation, choosing love over Bah Humbug. So today we look at someone else who had a dream. Long before Dickens created his story, God was sending angels to show people what their path could be and what he wanted them to do. Angels visit both of Jesus's earthly parents. And today we look at a piece of Joseph's story. Matthew frames it in such a way to show us that what comes before serves as proof for what happens later and to show how God is doing something new exactly as he said he would. Joseph's experiences of how God gives help along the way is something we understand as people who want to move forward. The prophets talked about a sign that the people would see and that this would come from the Lord himself, a sign that they would know that he was at work and that they were on the correct path. And we know that the baby would just be more than a sign, that he, by becoming human, would show us the way forevermore. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All of this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now we look just briefly to Isaiah so that we can see where the quote came from, Isaiah 7. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Let's pray. Oh God, your word is alive and we want to understand you more. So God, may we be vulnerable to you and may we hear you as we move forward ourselves. Amen. The story of Joseph comes right after Matthew lists the genealogy where Matthew wants readers to know that Jesus the Messiah comes from the royal line of David. He also wants us to know that Jesus is born into a family. But by taking us all the way back to Abraham, Matthew is showing how all of us, everyone, get to be included in the story. This will be a new era for God's people. Matthew is setting the stage, and he's doing it by telling the story, by starting his book, showing with what has come before. Because what comes before matters. And who comes before matters. And in this biography that you might take time to read today, it's usually something we gloss over, we see many different kinds of people. But not all of them are righteous. 
Some of them are forgettable. Some of them are utterly wicked. And this reminds us that Jesus comes from ordinary broken people. But no matter how far we go back in his lineage or in ours, we see the faithfulness of God. He is the constant who makes everything work together for good. So there are four ways we see this idea of before as part of Joseph's story. So we want to look at them and learn more about how God works on this second Sunday of Advent. So first, when Joseph found out about Mary's pregnancy, he assumed what had happened to her before. Namely, that she had been unfaithful to him. And this is an important lesson for us to think about briefly because we don't want to base our future on mistaken beliefs. Joseph looked at the outcome and came up with a perfectly logical explanation, but it was wrong. So in life, we also need to proceed cautiously. In this case, God brought correction and Joseph was receptive to that truth. In Jewish tradition, there were, of course, three steps to being married. The first was engagement made when the couple usually uh, were children and it was arranged by the parents. The second was betrothal, which was a formal agreement when the couple decides that, yes, they really do want to get married. And when they decide that, it lasts for a year and it's absolutely binding. And during that time, the couple is already known as husband and wife, and they can only separate with a legal divorce. To be with another person was considered adultery. The third step was when the marriage was celebrated for days with great festivity, and during this time, the marriage was consummated. Mary and Joseph are in the second stage. So Mary supposed that adultery was punishable by stoning. This is what caused Joseph's dilemma. And it's at this point that the angel comes to give guidance. Don't be afraid, Joseph. Don't act on what you think you know is true, because it's not. So all of us have had moments when we've discovered we were wrong. Sometimes about really big things. Sometimes we have made assumptions about other people in our lives that have been very hurtful and very harmful to our relationship. And sometimes it feels like it might take an act of the Lord (laughs) to change our mind or to show us how our reasoning has been so flawed. See, Joseph is not going to have an easy road ahead of him. And yet he changes direction. He believes what the angel has said. Nothing has changed in his reality. Everything is still the same. But Joseph chooses to believe that God is at work. You see, as Emmanuel, God with us, we have access to what is true. Jesus brings in the church age and his spirit speaks wisdom to us because he lives in us. And the key for us is whether or not we're going to listen. Whether we're going to seek him or whether we're just going to keep on believing what we say is true even when he tries to tell us differently. We need to seek God for where he wants us to go. So that brings us to our second point, closely linked to the first. The angel comes to Joseph after he had decided his course of action. Verse 19 says he was going to divorce her quietly. Joseph had decided to do the most honorable thing. Although in Deuteronomy, it said that she could be stoned. Joseph doesn't want Mary harmed. 
There are many things he could do to her publicly and privately. He has every right to do those things. To divorce her privately was a way that he could keep his own holiness intact while also saving her dignity and possibly her life. Walter Wangren says about Joseph, Evidently, one's rights do not define one's righteousness. Amen. So what comes before in Joseph's life matters here because what we see is integrity. You see, Joseph used his best reasoning and then the Lord stepped in. But it tells us a lot about his character that he wanted to do the right thing. And that obviously was built before the crisis hit. This is not a small thing. The time to build your character is not necessarily when the crisis comes. When he believed everything was unraveling, he had a lot of choices. But look at Joseph. This is not how he wanted his life to go. This is not what he thought his marriage to Mary was going to be like. But here he is trying to do the right thing, even when he's suffering a betrayal. So let's think about how our character has been shown when we experienced a great personal upset. Sometimes, as my friend Fred Cass says, we are not the best version of ourselves. So how is it that we respond when someone betrays us or hurts us? A few weeks ago, our staff had a fire extinguisher training. I should have brought a picture. It was hilarious. It was all the cliff drive teachers and all the pastoral staff in the parking lot with a guy who came and brought this big metal thing and just started a fire, and all of us had to put it out. (laughs) I told them it was our Christmas party. We just could not stop laughing. But one of the things that came out that he taught us, of course, is how readiness before an emergency is key for when the moment occurs. To not know how to use a fire extinguisher, to ignore how you use it or how the right way to put out a fire is actually going to bring more devastation and damage when or if the fire comes. It is the same in our lives. We want to cultivate personal holiness. We want to learn how to be people of grace and forgiveness and try to hold people's dignity and their life before a crisis comes The Lord is going to fill in as needed, but we want to prepare internally for all that life will bring. The third idea we clearly see here is how there were words that came before that revealed Jesus as the Messiah who would be born to help God's people. This morning we have read both the gospel and Isaiah, whom Matthew quotes. Isaiah's prophecy was delivered in a dark time in Judah, King Ahaz was ruling, and his neighbors around him were threatening to band together and to destroy Judah, and he was very afraid. So he was kind of getting ready to throw in the towel, and Isaiah said, no, 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 no. You stay the course, because the Lord is real, and he is faithful, and as long as the Lord lives, which is forever, there's going to be a king on the throne who comes from the line of David. And so this will be your sign There will be a young woman, and she will give birth. That's going to be your sign. 
Now, we know that the prophecies in the Old Testament often had dual functions. They were for the time that the prophet lived and also perhaps later on for God to use in the future. In this case, Jesus the Messiah. Now, Joseph would have known that something special was coming when he was visited by an angel in his dream. And when he heard that what happened to Mary came as a result of the Holy Spirit. But the key to him knowing that this child was going to be the Messiah was when the angel told him that the baby Jesus would grow to save people from their sins. It is at this point that Matthew tells the readers what is happening. At this point, Matthew tells us all of this that is happening is to fulfill what was said through the prophets. And he quotes Isaiah. You see, Matthew looks back and declares that the child to be born is a sign from the Lord. Now, there are close to 20 biblical prophecies which were realized at the birth of Jesus. But listen to this amazing quote from an Anglican minister born in Canada in the late 1800s. Centuries before Christ was born, his birth and career, his sufferings and glory were all described and outlined in detail in the Old Testament. Christ is the only person ever born into this world whose ancestry, birth time, forerunner, birthplace, birth manner, manner, infancy, manhood, teaching, character, career, preaching, reception, rejection, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension were all pre-written in the most marvelous manner centuries before he was born. Who could draw a picture of a man not yet born? Surely God and God alone. Nobody knew 500 years ago that Shakespeare was going to be born or 250 years ago that Napoleon was to be born. Yet here in the Bible, in the Old Testament prophets, we have the most striking and unmistakable likeness of a man portrayed, not by one, but by 20 or 25 artists none of whom had ever seen the man they were painting. That which comes before, from a biblical perspective, is some of the most important pieces that God has given us to know Messiah. Prophets put signposts down along the way so that those following would see God's hand and not let go. King Ahaz needed a sign. Joseph needed a sign. We need a sign. So what signs have pointed you to the Savior? How did you know those signs were from him? Remembering what God has done, remembering his proof that he has given, should be talked about and pointed to and celebrated and remembered. This is why Matthew is telling the story of Joseph Because God will give anything and everything to show you his will. And so I hope this season that you will share with someone how you know that Jesus is the Messiah. How you know that the prophecies are real. Because we who believe are now the signposts that God uses for those who do not yet know. As Isaiah has said, those who live in darkness. And we want to help point them to him. For our last point, we want to focus in on the name the angel gives Joseph to give to the baby. His given name is to be Jesus, which is the Greek form of Joshua, which means the Lord saves. In Isaiah, we read how he will be called Emmanuel, 
meaning God with us. This is not a mistake. Many people are given names, and then they have other names that they are known by. The baby will be called Jesus, but he will also be referred to by many names, one of them Emmanuel, because he has been, he who has been in the beginning will now be present with people in a new way forever. In Advent, we look at the big picture. We step back. Last week, we looked at the beginning of creation. We want to think about how God made covenant with Abraham and see what that agreement was about. How people tried hard to keep it, but it was so hard. And now through coming himself in the flesh, God has taken the promise that he has made to a whole new level. Because he's promised that he'll always sojourn with his people. And we realize that what comes before was necessary for what Jesus came to give. What came before was good, but God had so much more. What we're experiencing now is good, but God has so much more. And in coming, he indwells his people. Emmanuel, God with us. God with us before we are knit in our mother's womb. God with us as we take our first step. God with us as we learn and grow and experience life. God with us as we begin to know him and he teaches us to love. God with us as we celebrate milestones. God with us as we fail, as we fall down, and he helps us back up. God with us as we are hurt by others. God with us as we ourselves need forgiveness. God with us as we grapple with so many life choices. God with us as we live for him, finding his place. God with us as we face the pain and the darkness of our world. God with us as we take our dying breath. God with us as he welcomes us into eternity. God with us because he was a baby who nursed at his mother, who was a refugee in Egypt for two years, who grew strong in stature and wisdom, who began ministry as an unknown, who trusted God for the life he led and the miracles he performed who lived in poverty, who was treated harshly and then murdered as an innocent man. God with us because in everything we face, he understands. He is the God who weeps with us and rejoices with us. God with us in the glorious and mysterious idea of what it means to be human. God never gives up on his people. And Jesus coming as a baby shows us how resolute and how constant and how powerful God is, and how he cares for us. Hebrew 1 tells, tells us that long ago, God spoke through the prophets. But it says now today, God has spoken through his son. This morning, we sang a hymn that said, how the soul felt its worth. God's coming shows us our worth. Emmanuel, God with us, shows us how precious we are to him. An enduring truth found in both a Christmas carol and in our scripture today is that what happens before matters. Lineage, history, prophecy, our own past shape who we are and the events we experience today. We can't experience and truly understand all of the things that happened leading up to Jesus' birth without understanding what came before for those involved Another lesson from both stories is how we don't have to stay the way we are. There's nothing stopping us from changing right now except ourselves. And the incarnate God sets us free from those things which bind us. 
And the point is simply not how much we've changed and how amazing we are and how amazing it is that we get to go and do good things now instead of being selfish and awful. The point is God and who he is and what he has for us is so much more joy and freedom than being bound in our own selfishness and our own sin God brings the change and wants us to know in that change how deeply we are loved. And it is that that allows us to go out then and to love other people. So this Advent, let us notice how God is weaving in and beyond the time that we understand here. And let us give him praise for making all things new. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.